MailChimp presents. Say you're the head of marketing strategy for a small clothing store. You've perfected digital communication with your loyal customers, and now you want to expand into brick-and-mortar locations. But you haven't totally perfected your segmentation strategy, and double-checking the right emails are sent to the right customers just takes so much time. Intuit MailChimp can help. With Intuit MailChimp's automation and segmentation tools, personalizing each email based on individual behaviors is made easy. Intuit MailChimp allows you to share your new product launch with VIP customers who follow every release, run a targeted campaign for more seasonal buyers, and send out location-specific emails to promote your store openings among your new neighbors. They'll take care of your marketing needs so you can take care of your customers' needs. Start refining your email marketing strategy today with Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. Imagine an exceedingly stylish but nerdy music fan. Someone who is obsessed with learning about all kinds of music, even though they already hold an encyclopedic knowledge of that subject in their heads. Now imagine that same person is also a virtuoso musician. Someone who can outplay almost anyone in the room. Someone who has become such an incredibly in-demand studio musician that he has almost forgotten he has the desire to write and perform for himself. Now imagine that person is one of your favourite friends, the person you love talking to so much that you feel comfortable being yourself around, and that is funny and smart and engaged and interested. The first person you'd call after a stay-at-home order was lifted. That, my friends, comes close to describing Thundercat. On today's episode, I talk to Thundercat about the song Dragon Ball Durag from his fourth album, It Is What It Is, recorded with longtime friend and collaborator Flying Lotus, and what it was like for him to make the move from all-star studio musician to bona fide front person. I'm Shirley Manson, I'm in love with Thundercat, and this is The Jump. So listen, Thundercat, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Um, I mean, I've become sort of obsessed. I hope you're not scared. I'm, I'm not dangerous. I'm always scared. Don't worry, it's not you. It's just... <laughs> I'm like, I'm still wondering how the planet's been held up in in space. I don't, I mean, are the other planets just magnets? I don't know what's going on. Like, That's a good question. <laughs> it's just like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> so listen, here's, here's where I wanted to start. And I hope you don't mind me starting here because it's a bit of a funny start. Okay. But as I was doing my research, mm-hmm. somewhere in the midst of all the, the stuff that they sent me, there was this little note that said, it says that you were in um, a boy band. Oh right? my god! Yeah, no, it's just it's pretty funny. Yeah, now I was in a little, I was in a little boy group, uh, a little boy group. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like maybe fourteen or something like that, fourteen, fifteen. All things being fair, I, I mean, it was kind of like one thing amongst many different things that I grew up doing. I think Flying Lotus just found a video of of uh, of me, my brother on drums, Kamasi Washington, and Cameron Graves. At the John Coltrane Jazz Awards Festival, and yeah, he just sent. He's like he, he tripped out because it was like 
at that same time, I was in jazz band. At that same time, I played at church. At that same time, I would play gigs, you know, just around town. You know, I think it's also partially, you know, the environment of growing up in L.A., you know, where it's not far-fetched. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I have a few, I have a couple of friends that were maybe involved in, you know, anything from little pop groups. It's just kind of like the act of being involved with music growing yeah. up, you know? It was an interesting experience. It was like my, you know, I guess my first experience traveling abroad like that. And I remember we recorded an album in New York and then we played Popcom. Um, I think it was at Cologne or Hamburg Popcom. And uh, yeah, no, it was a it was an interesting moment in life, to say the least. Wild. One of the reasons, of course, we're here today is to speak on one of the songs from uh, It Is What It Is, which is Dragon Ball Durag. <laughs> and tell me, first of, first of all, if, if you will, why you chose that particular song out of the entire record to speak on today. Well, Dragon Ball Durag, it's like a snapshot of a real moment for a me that's like I was literally trying to impress my girlfriend I'm not even gonna lie I was like I was extremely in love with the person I was with and I mean you know there's different degrees of how like do-rag is such a normal thing in so many respects for so many of us you know what I mean it's just kind of like oh I'm I may wear it I may take it off when I get somewhere important so my hair is neat yeah. You know, there's a whole thing behind it, but it's kind of like, it's not much of a thought for the most part for me, you know, a person that will wear one all the time. And I remember I was like, you know, in the throes of recording a bit and I was just chilling. And I remember it was this weird reaction it got out of her. It was almost like it drew her into me. I was like, really? I was like, I was like the dude, this, this, I was like, you like this? I was like, oh my God, you like, it made me feel special. It did. like one of those things where I, I remember we would FaceTime a lot because we weren't in the same country and I muted myself so she couldn't hear me and I was recording and I was kind of singing to her and she was like what are you doing and I was like nothing I was like absolutely nothing I was happy that there was something that I did that she liked it was a special moment you know because it's about intimacy right really yeah yeah. Where where someone will accept you even in your more humdrum in moments, your I suppose. Yeah. 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 So do you think humor plays a, a sort is it like a coping mechanism or a protectionism? It can be. Other than like, you know, trying to actually get a closer connection to God or like, you know, the, the different things we do like meditating or praying or different things like that. I think that this is one of the best emotions ever dealt. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing better than laughing other than maybe farting or like, <laughs> it's like you can always laugh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But so when you came up with these lyrics, 
Mm-hmm. You came up with them without music, or was this a, a memory that came back to you when you were with your bass? Like, how did this come to being? This, this song? song, yeah. This song, uh, I mean, that's definitely the music came first for this. Um, I feel like it was an idea that I had mowed around maybe at some point with another friend or two, where it was like it started with the bass line, of course. I remember it was like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? And it's like it starts, you know, like bass line and drums and like creating chordal progressions and stuff like that. It all comes like second nature sometimes. So there's a part of me that doesn't shy away from where the the possibilities of the chords can lie based on the bass line. I feel like I will laugh. The minute my actual emotions come out about something, I will laugh. If I ever find it, it would be like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous, you know? So even if it felt like the the, the line, like, how do I look in my do-rag? I think that it was like, it stood out to me. You know, it was like, how do I look in my do And I was just like, what am I, what am I talking about? the leap comes from being a bass player playing with other artists and and the bass being your you know your main instrument how does the leap occur to deciding you know what i i'm gonna get my voice out there now um i think that flying lotus played a major part in that for me like um i was very soft-spoken as a kid amongst my friends i'd be silly a lot of the time i would was very quiet and you know you grow up in singing in choir and all these different things it doesn't mean that I always joke about it, it was like I wasn't Beyonce you know it was like I, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you weren't Sasha Fierce no no you know but it was one of those things I you know where I know melody and harmony because I grew up at Yamaha Music School like when I was in preschool wow and so there's a part of it yeah my association of notes and letters and stuff like that are pretty coordinated and like incredible tonality and stuff so and then and then you couple that with listening to your favorite artists like George Duke, Frank Zappa, Tony Williams, Stanley Clark, they were singing on their records. And so there's a part of me that knew not to fear it, but I never would walk towards it because it was one of those things that I didn't realize it was something that I could do. Mm-hmm. So on meeting Flying Lotus, there's a part of it where it's like, you know, we would spend a lot of time writing music together and one day he just looked over at me and was like, what about putting out your album? Ooh. And I was just like, okay. And <laughs> But then, you know, I didn't, it felt normal at first until the part where he looked at me and was like, you know, you have to sing. And I was just like, uh, and the first thing that came to mind was like Tony Williams. And I said, okay. I think like it was a real thing for me in that moment where it was like I didn't you know I was like what would I sing about what am I supposed to talk about and I would only know what my experience and stuff is it's like I can only speak from that I'm not I'm like I don't know where else it would come from and I just would try to follow in the path of the ones that laid it in front of me like that it must be very frustrating to bring it is what it is into the world in this pandemic that moment was really that was intense. That was intense. The the initial shock of like so, something that emotional coming from me 
to absolute nothingness you know oh. something that I've, I've been i've been able to play my whole life i've been able to you know even if i you know sneak in the back door at the club like, oh, sit in, you know whatever it was you could sit in and play and it's like you don't get to do anything it was very like it was very jarring at first but then it was kind of something that you gotta want to have and laugh at you know it's kind of like of course and that's why the album is titled it is what it is because it's, <laughs> it's just not meant to make any sense <laughs> you've probably heard this but if you, if you haven't I think it's pretty cool it's like I just read that Pete Townsend has said he's obsessed with the record and that it's like Sgt Pepper's by the Beatles it's, I mean fucking hell <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty awesome yeah. um I uh I I didn't that was a intense to wake up to and uh the first person I called was my dad and I, I remember like being a kid me and my dad would always, like my dad would, or he would argue about, we would only argue about a couple of things. One, we argued about Batman versus Marvel, like Batman in DC <laughs> versus Marvel. If Batman was the one thing that we would go, okay, sure, Batman. But it was like DC and Marvel, I was like, no dad, Marvel, it doesn't matter. And then <laughs> the, the other one was which Beatles album. And my dad would always be like, Sgt. Pepper's. And I was like, Magical Mystery Tour. And he was oh, like, no, nah, but Sergeant Peppers. And I was like, no. Yeah, I was like, no, magical mystery. <laughs> so we would, you know, and, and it was one of those moments where when he wow. said that, I got a little emotional about it because it was like my whatever my dad instilled in me, it's coming out. Yeah. And it was like I, I called my dad and I was like, Dad, you know, like Pete just uh, said that this is like uh Sergeant Peppers. And my dad laughed and he was like, Yeah, man. He was like, That's in there. Wow. And well, yeah, it kind of it kind of hit me in a different way because you know I always wanted to make my dad proud. Of course, I mean I get I've gotten goosebumps just thinking about it. It's like that's I mean that's as good as it gets, you know. Like <laughs> yeah, it hit me in a weird way when I think about the emotions processed. I think a lot of the album is very emotional for me, and mm. if I was going to talk about some things, it's hard to. Mm -hmm. It's hard to because it, it there was a lot of loss, a lot of weird moments in you know where I, I had to would process it in such a way. I'm saying stuff quite literally on the album, and it was it was a bit traumatic for me in certain respects, yeah. you know. And I feel like that song for me, it's like it makes me happy to hear it. You know, it's like I I laugh when I hear it. I'm like, oh, here <laughs> I go. your actual bass playing style comes from again it's very signature i think i'll always say this bernie worrell bernie worrell played keys but it's the way he played key bass you know i'm gonna start from bernie worrell george duke the way he played key bass to uh, gino vanelli's brother i mean the ones that we do know like stanley clark ron carter 
you know, Jocko, Marcus Miller, Hadrian Farad, you know, these are the people that, Matthew Garrison, these are the guys that influenced the way I play. And since you became a lead vocalist, mm-hmm. did that change the way you relate to being a player? Yeah, it definitely changed it because it's like, it's a whole new muscle to learn. It's different than sitting and practicing scales or practicing bass lines. And it's a whole different muscle to work. So the ability to write to your playing or, you know, anytime somebody can play and sing, it's like, it's awesome. You know what I mean? Like Alicia Keys, like it'll never be old to me. It's, it's something that's like insane. So what's next? Again, it must be really difficult to have brought out this really remarkable album during this awful fucking pandemic um, and sort of be stuck at home really pretty much. So are you working on music now or are you? do you feel a little like I'm not going to do another piece of music until this bloody thing is over I think more more than anything right now I'm just kind of working on my mental health yeah yeah and you know it's you know everything about this moment is a lot yeah. it's a lot everything is always constantly changing so one thing that I I love um, that Lotus always has I always have this moment with Lotus where he's like hey man this is just a moment in time and it's just kind of like it's always something to hold on to so as crazy as I feel about oh man this is way too intense or oh man oh this is it's just a moment in time and it's going to pass just try to ride it out Well, I love the record. It's just ridiculous. Thank you. Jump is hosted by me, Shirley Manson, and is produced by Dan Gallucci. The Jump is an original series from MailChimp, produced in partnership with Little Everywhere. Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie are the executive producers. The Jump is mixed by Mike Richter, original music composed by Rishikesh Hirway, and a very special thanks goes out to our wonderful booker, Mara Davis. Mara Davis.